Hello and welcome to the Cana Rinse Podcast, Volume 12, Issue 567, in which we talk about Luigi's Mansion 2, Dark Moon. Joining me, Ryan Zhao, in Issue 567 are Ryan Edwards. Hello, hello. James Carter. Hi. And Jesse Fuchs. Yellow. <laughs> I, uh, I tried. Luigi's Mansion, Dark Moon, as it's known in uh, the Americas, Luigi's Mansion 2, as it's known in other regions. Interesting for uh, for the title to. Um, I, I wonder what the reason is for not calling it Luigi's Mansion Two Worldwide. Uh, sometimes there's the idea that if a sequel comes like many many years too late, or if maybe like a previous game or movie wasn't well received, then sometimes they'll you know drop a number from the title to make sure it doesn't read as uh, required viewing, so to speak. But, you know, I think while the legacy of Luigi's Mansion 1 on the GameCube was that it perhaps kind of snuck out the gate with a little bit less fanfare and a little bit less of a explosion than Nintendo was hoping for, by the time the sequel came around, I think public perception had really kind of turned a corner on it. And it was viewed as one of those uh, hidden treasures, so to speak, not hidden in as much as it was a console launch title, uh, first party Nintendo game, but um, perhaps just the fact that it made less of a splash than Super Mario 64 uh, was perhaps seen as a little bit of a deflation at the time and uh, kind of what makes it cool and interesting in the years since then. So Mm. I think we'll uh, be contending a lot with the legacy of the series, um, it changing hands to a new developer for the sequel, and then that carrying forward into the uh, legacy of the series in Luigi's Mansion 3 on the Switch. Now that uh, Next Level Games has made more Luigi's Mansion games than the Nintendo in-house team, interesting how this is kind of a turning point for this weird little niche side adventure of Luigi. Right up front, we'd like to give a spoiler warning. Um, The story isn't massively <laughs> important to the uh to the gameplay i believe it's it's a pretty similar story to any of the games in the luigi's mansion and i would even connect this back to mario is missing series but uh yeah there's there's a little bit of story we'll be talking about it you're not missing much if you uh <laughs> if you haven't played it from a story perspective uh, this is a part of, as we mentioned, the Luigi's Mansion series. The original was a launch game for the GameCube, came out in 2001. Uh, we covered that in Canadorance 25 many, many, many years ago. Wow. And this was uh, preceded by a Luigi's Mansion remake on the 3DS, uh, which was also handled by Next Level Games, incorporated some of the tech and some of the simplifications to the control scheme that were brought into this game, which we'll talk about later, as well as the... Long-awaited sequel, Luigi's Mansion 3, in 2019 for the Nintendo Switch, a game which I uh, love very much, and um, I think I'm uh, I'm at that point now where I've it's been long enough to where I can replay it and not remember most of the puzzles and traps and stuff, and so I'm I'm really looking forward to doing that soon. I got to get that back on the list again. Wonderful little game. This was released on the 3DS. On March 20 through 28th in various regions of 2013, as a part of the Year of Luigi, for those of us who remember the perhaps (laughs) ill-fated Nintendo promotional. I think we all have a lot of fondness for Luigi, and I think we were all amused by the Year of Luigi as a kind of promotional vehicle. But uh, to say it, it probably didn't work out to the same degree that Nintendo probably would have preferred is i think it's it's part of the legacy that it's left but a a fun little 
diversion nonetheless. It's almost like the year of Luigi matches uh, Luigi's character arc <laughs> over the yeah, course of time yeah. a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> this was developed by Next Level Games. A little bit of background on Next Level. I believe that they have actually been uh, fully acquired by Nintendo now, so they are first party as far as, uh, well, not at this time and not even... As of the release of Luigi's Mansion 3, I believe the acquisition came after that, but um, now they are in-house first party. Uh, This was directed by Bryce Holiday, programmer on Need for Speed Underground, Super Mario Strikers, and Charged, and a gameplay director of Punch-Out!, director of Dark Moon and Luigi's Mansion 3. This was produced by Bjorn Nash, previously at EA, as a few of these um, team members were. He worked QA on Super Mario Strikers Charge, producer on Ghost Recon, a Captain America game that uh, Next Level made, as well as Dark Moon and Federation Force. Also produced by Eric Randall, with a history of sports games, primarily in the NHL hockey type of series, uh, president of Next Level Games as well. And um, also produced by Shigeru Miyamoto. Uh, I wasn't able to dig up very much on this guy, so I don't know if anyone else has heard of him or any of his previous credits. Uh, name rings a bell, but uh, maybe I maybe it was in the Mario movie credits somewhere. I don't remember. Of course, just joking. The legendary one of the front men at Nintendo and grandfathers the video game industry. <laughs> Recently uh, confirmed that he's Super Mario's biological father, if I remember that correctly, from the Super Mario or Nintendo Andy? World theme park um, announcements. He <laughs> said, Mario and Luigi, my sons, is what, how he introduced himself. So I'm like, okay, all right, fair enough. Do we know if the Mario movie confirms that their last name is Mario? Does that come back? I haven't seen the movie yet. We see it tomorrow. It's <laughs> probably good to check, on, check in on every few years. <laughs> day of recording, we're going to see it tomorrow because it's going to be a rainy day here. So I'll let you know tomorrow <laughs> evening. <laughs> all right. Yeah. And uh, listeners write in. Do we have last name confirmation in the uh, Chris Prattiverse? Further down the credits, uh, this is programmed by David Catellan, a technical director previously at Radical Entertainment and EA Black Box. And this was composed by Chad York, Darren Radke, and Mike Peacock, all next-level in-house composers. With regard to reviews and awards, uh, this was given a Metacritic score of 86 and an 8.4 by users. Uh, Very high, very good review scores um, compared to especially the 78 for Luigi's Mansion 1. Still pretty healthy, but, um, but 86 is quite a jump up. Luigi's Mansion 1 scored even lower in its 3DS remake at a 74. Again, still fairly healthy, but um, but yeah, we're, we're seeing that Luigi's Mansion 1 scoring lower, not only in the time period at which it originally released on GameCube, but even kind of contemporaneously with Dark Moon. So uh, we're looking at a critical reception that is much stronger than the original game, although Luigi's Mansion 3 also scored an identical 86 on Metacritic, so that is Next Level Games keeping up that level of quality. Several award nominations for Dark Moon, but um, no notable wins as far as I was able to dig up. Sales, always a little bit tricky to nail down. This was a game that was given both physical and digital releases, which tend to complicate things further. But according to the rough estimates of VG charts, this shipped an estimated 6.47 million compared to the 3.33 million of Luigi's Mansion 1 and the 12.44 million of Luigi's Mansion 3. So the series continuing to grow. Almost doubling each time. Is that just down to the platforms they're on? 
and the time during that platform so, yeah. life lifespan that the games came out because I mean 3DS sold gangbusters but this was still mm-hmm. early ish I get or sort of middle of of 3DS whereas 12.4 for Luigi's Mansion 3 I guess just speaks to Switch and how much people were hoovering up anything and everything Nintendo on Switch at that point but yeah just interesting that they've almost doubled each time yeah while the 3ds had a huge install base it also had more kind of software competition i would say uh with regard to like the essential first party or even essential third party exclusives you know the nintendo switch has a pretty uh, a pretty solid if a little bit slow lately uh, a tent party schedule a uh, sorry tent pull schedule of uh first party and third party exclusive games and so every game Every big game on the Switch feels like a massive event, whereas the 3DS uh, always tended to have a little bit more uh, competition, you know, three or four big games coming out at any given time from Nintendo or from Capcom. So uh, maybe a little bit less uh, of a spotlight feature for any any one in particular. I'm actually kind of shocked at those original Luigi's Mansion numbers because I, I would I know the GameCube wasn't wildly you know, successful in the way that the Wii and the then Switch now have been. But for a launch title to have 3.33 million, that feels like a small amount. You know what I mean? I wonder mm-hmm. I wonder how those numbers evolved over time. And, you know, I, it just felt like anybody who had a GameCube in that launch window had Luigi's Mansion. So I just that mm-hmm. that's surprising to me. I guess just personal anecdote, like I, I bought a GameCube at launch, but my launch game was uh, Rogue Leader. Yeah. So I, yeah. I think I rented Luigi's Mansion but uh, I never owned that one, unfortunately. Genres and influences. This is kind of an interesting. I always like to kind of dig in a little bit on the genre side. And Luigi's Mansion has always been a little bit of a weird one when it comes to genres. Uh, this is listed most frequently across the internet as an action adventure game, which is a genre that I just really don't care for at all because you could list anything as an action adventure game from like <laughs> the curse of monkey Island to tomb Raider to crash bandicoot, like action adventure gets applied to way too many things. And I think in this case it's probably a little bit more fitting because this does feel a little bit like a, like an interpretation of a, of a traditional point and click adventure style game with traversal and, and, environmental puzzles that require uh you know use of limited environmental interactions to solve it's kind of structured in that way so i'd say it's not a bad fit but it's a genre name that i try to not use anymore than i have to because it's been so heavily diluted over the years more than that i would say that whenever i classify these games i classify them as survival horror games uh because you know not because they are immensely frightening um to me personally i'm i'm a i'm a pretty brave boy i'm not scared by <laughs> luigi's mansion they're they're frightening to luigi um, <laughs> yeah there you go gotta gotta look at it from his perspective yeah, it's definitely a horror game <laughs> he is constantly <laughs> being disintegrated and reintegrated and even just that even mm. before we get to ghosts you know it takes its toll yeah by star, star trek rules that means that he's dying multiple times as well he knows it you can see um, he knows it anyway yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would say that this this plays with more genre tropes from the survival horror series than can be easily dismissed. Like horror is always a little bit of a tricky genre to apply to video games because most video game genres are kind of revolving around the actions that you take in the game, whereas horror is more about like tone and setting. 
And so it's always a little bit of a, it's like a Westerns for film, you know, a lot of film genres are about what happens with regard to, you know, action, romance, thriller, whereas Western is just, it takes place in a cowboy adjacent world. But uh, I think there's enough of a kind of survival horror legacy within video games that a, a specific kind of language has built up around that space to the point at which like if devs are playing in the horror space, then it's very clear that that's the language that they're drawing from and using. And I think that in a comedic way, rather than a scary way, Luigi's Mansion does play with a lot of very familiar survival horror types of um, tropes with regard to the way that it controls, uh, fixed camera angles, environmental lock and key puzzles, tone and atmosphere. Like it is a riff on Resident Evil more than anything else, I would say. I would say that it's survival horror for, from the sense that um, I think Professor Egad is a monster who loves sending <laughs> Luigi, terrified Luigi into these horrible situations and watching the events unfold. So I think there's a number of I think I think he might be the puppet master at play that makes takes us over the edge and puts it right into full on psychological horror zone. I'm sure Egad has a couple of itchy, tasty uh, journals kind of stashed away in his drawer somewhere. Uh, with that, let's go into our personal histories with this game, and uh, I guess let's briefly touch on the rest of the series. Uh, Jesse, how far back do you go with Dark Moon? Uh, I played this in 2014, uh, which uh, from a Game Center copy that I just borrowed for a few weeks. And and one funny thing about and I got the save was still on there when I when I went back. Uh, and um, it said I had spent 27 hours, which can't possibly be right. I feel like I must have left my 3DS open a bunch. Uh, but I had made it to World 3. And uh, I had very little memory of, of any details of this at all, which was funny because we'll talk about kind of our experience of the gameplay. And I ended up liking this game a lot. I The first World, I was like, this game is one of my favorite games ever. How did I possibly forget about this? But I did. And uh, yeah, I... I've played an hour of the first one yesterday at the Game Center uh, on a GameCube just to kind of put it in my head. And and I never picked up Luigi's Mansion 3 just because it's 60 bucks and doesn't really go on sale. And, you know, there's there's other games I've gotten to. But now I'm, as we'll get to, uh, I'm more interested. I've also, for whatever reason, haven't been interested in reading other reviews or anything about this like I usually would when I'm, you know, playing through a game uh, for an episode and I get kind of researchy for whatever reason. Let's hope our listeners don't feel the same way. <laughs> uh, James, how about you? Uh, yeah, so um, oddly similar. I did did not play the first game. Uh, never had a GameCube, and and I until you mentioned it, completely forgotten that, that it had a a remake uh, to to 3DS. I think before um, this game came out, um, just didn't get to it. Um, heard heard about it, knew of the series. Um, so when the sequel came out, January two thousand and fourteen, I checked my uh, my spreadsheet and told me it was January two thousand and fourteen. When I started playing it through for this, I had not remembered that I'd finished it. It was a different copy of the game. I'd sold the copy of the game I had, and so I, I picked up another one for for this recording. Uh, so I couldn't check the save file. But my spreadsheet tells me I finished it. I remembered nothing after the first boss, the spider boss, which from having chatted briefly before we started recording, I don't think I'm the only one who's, who's going to be saying that. And I'm not even the first with Jesse just having given uh, his history. So 
happy to go back to it for this, but yeah, not clearly not a game that stuck with me in any great way. And I wasn't playing it to, you know, to talk about or anything. I was just playing it for my own uh, edification. So, um, so yeah, uh, it didn't stick with me. Uh, and we'll kind of get to whether there's reasons for that, I guess, as we talk through this. But uh, yeah, um, have since then played, I think, about the first half of Luigi's Mansion 3. When we got to the, the uh, second level, the plant level in this one, I was like, oh, but there was a plant level in Luigi's Mansion 3. So I'm not sure if that's why I'd forgotten about some of it, because there is a certain amount of... It's not like copy-paste by any stretch. I don't want to suggest that it is, but when you get the food-themed level, the ice-themed level, the fire-themed, you know, it, it can feel a little feel a little sort of standardised in that way. So uh, I don't know if that had any hand in me forgetting about having played this or finished it, at least. Brian, what about you? Yeah, so I was a huge Luigi's Mansion fan, the first one, and so this was a day one purchase for me. And I remember playing um, maybe the first full world and about halfway through the second world, and then I got distracted by something else, and it wasn't quite holding my attention. So I was thrilled to see it come back up uh, for recording this year because I was like, oh, I'm going to get back to that. And then I went to go play it about a month ago and I opened up my 3DS and I had a 100% complete save file of this game. I'm like, <laughs> well, that's interesting. And so I loaded up and I loaded into each level and I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember this. Oh, yep. I remember this. Yeah, uh, sure. And what I found out was that I had indeed played it and I looked on my spreadsheet of games that I keep that I completed. I completed it in the year 2021. And I had almost no memory of that. Now, granted, that was the year our second child was born. There was a lot of late night things, bottles, feeding sessions that turned into gaming session type stuff. So it could have been part of that whole fever dream. But I was <laughs> kind of uh, like surprised at myself that I had had not only beaten this game, but gotten every gem and all the stuff. So I have <laughs> been replaying through it over the last couple of weeks on, I believe, each time I played this game. Uh, to completion was on a uh, new Nintendo 3DS XL. Um, and yeah, so I I haven't quite completed my replay through yet. I'm in currently in the final level um, and just haven't gotten back to that King Boo uh, boss fight yet. I didn't own Luigi's Mansion 1 back on the GameCube. As I mentioned, it was a game that I had rented at least once or twice uh, from a local Hollywood video. I, I enjoyed that one. But yeah, I had never played it all the way through. And so this was the first Luigi's Mansion game that I ever owned, actually. Uh, I must have picked this up around launch because this kind of like fun, spooky stuff is like really my jam. I love like Grab by the Ghoulies and, you know, Haunted House levels and rare games in particular. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of, you know, this type of game that uh, really speaks to me. And so I was I was definitely going to be there for a many many years on luigi's mansion re not remake uh reboot so to speak i bought this one i played most of it uh but i i gave up on it towards the end there are a couple really frustrating and challenging missions and i think throughout uh the amount of kind of repetition and the amount of challenge that i i guess we'll speak on later i think kind of deflated my desire to see it all the way through and so it wasn't until earlier this year or maybe the end of last year that I ended up picking up my old save file and finishing off those last couple of missions. But uh, yeah, it was it was one that I had been like 90% finished off, off with for many years and uh, only had recently gone back to finally put the bow on. So uh, that is our history. So let's move into the actual game itself. The scenario sees uh, Egad, Professor Egad, 
partnered with some friendly ghosts that he uses as lab assistants as he uh, produces new inventions and stuff in his lab as he is as one to do. He works on new inventions until he is interrupted by King Boo who breaks the dark moon, causing the ghosts to become hostile. I don't know exactly the mechanics behind this all, but apparently the dark moon, which hangs in the sky like a real moon, it keeps the ghosts friendly and in check, and when broken, they revert to a more kind of hostile primal form. Um, Egad tasks Luigi with capturing the ghosts in his brand new Poltergust 5000, as opposed to the Poltergust 3000 of the previous Luigi's Mansion game. Luigi travels to five haunted mansions in pursuit of the Dark Moon pieces, and eventually squares off against King Boo himself. Pretty standard Luigi's Mansion type fare. The gameplay, uh, this game diverges from the previous game, which was all set within one mansion that you traverse. You go back and forth between rooms and never leave the mansion, uh, very much in the vein of Resident Evil. This game takes on a little bit more of like a arcade style format, so to speak. Um, there are five different mansions. You were given specific missions that you enter each level to accomplish. And then upon accomplishing those missions, you are booted out of the level Mario 64 style out to a kind of menu lobby uh, where you're able to kind of buy upgrades and um, and choose different uh choose different missions to uh, revisit, get more money, uh, go back for higher scores. But anyways, there are five different mansions. The Gloomy Manor, which is kind of a standard haunted mansion. The Haunted Towers are kind of built around a giant tree and have a greenhouse-like theme. Lots of nature and plant-based objectives in here. The Old Clockworks, which is a haunted factory that builds clocks and has a lot of clock-based theming around um, all of its different rooms. The Secret Mine, which is a snow level on the surface level and an underground mine cave down below the surface. And the Treacherous Mansion, which is a haunted museum, uh, which is a great theme for a horror-based game like this. So I guess we can go through each of these in particular and and see if there's anything that really stood out to us about them. But um, I guess overall, before we do that, about this format... This is a, a massive change and probably the biggest departure from the original GameCube game. How did we all feel about this structure of being kind of dropped out of the mansions in between in between missions? And how did that affect our experience with the game? It was probably, not to start on a negative note, it was probably my, my least favorite thing about this game. One of, one of my favorite things about the, the original was how... You just kind of you had access to this mansion and and you couldn't obviously get to all the areas at first. You had to unlock keys and gadgets and other things to get around. But you'd clear rooms and the lights would turn on and and you'd kind of know like just naturally what rooms you'd cleared out of ghosts and what rooms you still had to you know get the ghosts from. And there were some changes to that over the course of the game. But this game it felt like right when I was getting to the point where I was getting a lay of the land and exploring and, and kind of figuring some things out, like you'd get that message on your little DS there um, that Luigi carries around and Professor Egad would be like, great, you did it. And then he'd, you know, nope you right out of there back to the lab yeah. and you'd go through the end of the level, you know, sequence and everything. And it just, I think the thing I like the most about that first game is that it really did feel like, and you've mentioned it a number of times, Ryan, that, that Resident Evil feeling of just kind of, you know, you've got this space to explore and you obviously can't explore all of it yet. And the, but the mm-hmm. places you do explore, but you build on it to get to the next area and so on and so forth. And by making this straight level base, it felt much more like just a 
checklist of things to do as opposed to a an area that I could explore at my own leisure. Now, you could still take detours and go see some stuff, but it was very clearly gated off. Like, this is how f- this is where you're going to start and this is how far you're going to go. And that that chops up the section of gameplay. I, I've wondered when thinking about it, if part of that is because it was specifically designed for handheld play and maybe they wanted mm-hmm. it to be yeah. able to pick up and play for 20 minutes and put down and I, which I understand that just did not work for me. And I think that's probably the primary reason I got so distracted my first time playing it. Yeah, it's interesting. I I think because Luigi's Mansion 3 is also a little bit more kind of level based than mm-hmm. Luigi's Mansion 1. They never fully returned to the to the mansion format that you have to kind of run zigzag paths around throughout the game. And, you know, I, I like that level of being immersed in a space and recontextualizing spaces that you've been to before mm-hmm. as new hauntings occur. And it makes you feel like a sense of ownership of the space while still feeling on the back foot. The thing I think that doesn't work in this game that Luigi's Mansion 3 avoids is that Luigi's Mansion 3, even though it is still very prescriptive, very linear, and mm-hmm. very segmented, there's not a, there are some sections of backtracking, but it's not to the same degree of traversal that you would get in the first Luigi's Mansion game. There are very clear and distinct missions in which you must backtrack and that is the way forward but um luigi's mansion 3 you had to do everything once so to speak the levels were more or less self-contained there were as i said a few points at which they would be recontextualized but this game the thing that didn't work for me the most was that luigi's mansion is all about being curious and exploring the environment and using your vacuum to Hoover open all the different drawers and the chandeliers and shake money free from them and, you know, collect those dollar bills and the gold dog bones that give you an extra life. And, you know, it really encourages you to be to approach your environment with curiosity and to Mm. test every little, you know, every little drawer, every little curtain, because there might be something cool and there might be a a neat secret behind it. Um, That's that's the fun of the haunted house genre in particular. Like these are like puzzle boxes that you can slowly unravel over time. And the format here is that you end up walking through the same areas many, many times and you lose that instinct to be curious very quickly Mm -hmm. because, you know, as you feel like you can kind of check rooms off the box, um, as you have explored all the little bits and pieces, the fact that you are revisiting and walking through those same rooms for three to five missions as you return to a mansion, it it really deflates any sense of like exploratory spirit that I have going into yep. it. I, I don't want to test the same drawers in all of these rooms multiple, multiple times. And um it just it it made the mansions less less fun to explore. It made my it made the secrets that I did find feel less permanent in a way. Whereas in Luigi's Mansion One, if you found if you found a secret, then that was a secret found. In Luigi's Mansion Two, if you found a secret, then you found a secret in one particular instance of a level. And are you going to have to go back there and rediscover the same secret in further instances? Are there new secrets that are hidden in locations that previously didn't include secrets in previous instances? Like it just it, it feels like a feels like an inelegant way to 
to present this type of really deeply environmental exploratory type of game. Yeah, uh, um, I I agree with that. I think one good example of that is when you're passing through the same areas, you can find the um, the little gems. So if you missed it on the last level, you'll still be able to find it in the same place. And sometimes you may not be able to get it until later because something in the level's changed. So they do understand that you need to have the level kind of evolve. The The problem is that stuff like the Golden Bones, which are a, a revive, as far as I'm aware, there should be one of those in each level. I think that there's a little bit of randomness with regard to their placement. I believe you can only pick them up after you receive like a certain amount of money. Right. And then they will like spawn in a number of locations. But it does mean that you have to kind of be on just checking everything. Exploratory mode. Yeah. And and that's the that's exactly the issue I found was because I was sure I w- I'd found one or two in drawers or places that I had checked previously. So then it's just well, it's just scattershot because I'm not exploring to find something. If it's random, then I just need to keep opening drawers until something pops out. And that really take, took, took away from the notion of mm. exploration. A, a further issue, I think, so the other aspect we haven't touched on is uh, GameCube and Switch. Switch obviously is a weird thing of its own, but they're home consoles. And this is, is so we've said it's a handheld and that may be the style they went for is level-based. It also has some of the kind of, oh, you've got a time-based star system and a, um, a boo to, to get in each um, level and a, uh, a, a gold bone to find in each level and obviously the gems. It has an aspect of mobile game of the era where there's three stars to get for the level, so replay it until you get the three stars, mm. except it's all just time-based, and that feels really counterintuitive in terms of, well, I just need to rush, so yeah. stop looking for stuff, and do I just then need to keep replaying levels to do it once quickly, once thoroughly, and that feels a bit off. But I think and the other aspect that I wanted to get to was it's a, it's the 3DS. It may well be that they they just have a limit on how much space they can give the player at any one time. So in order to avoid like loading screens between different rooms and areas, they broke it up into levels, which is great. Except there, you get checkpointed if you die in a level, but if you turn the game off, come out to the menu, and then go back in, you lose any progress in the level. You don't. There's no yeah. save in the level. That's really frustrating to find out for the first time when. Yeah, absolutely. You then have to go and redo an entire level, and you're like, okay, but could you? Could I not? Is that an option? <laughs> um, and and the same goes for for dying. I I know I have a bit of a hair trigger where this is concerned, um, and we'll. I, I'm going to bring Lego games up as we go through this because I have a lot of comparisons to a Lego game where this game's concerned. But in respect to the dying in particular, I felt about it a little bit like I do about coins and lives in Mario games, where it's like, there's no reason for these to be here. They're like, that's a broad statement, not everyone's going to agree with. But at this point, it feels to me now, oh, you've got five lives if you lose them back to the beginning of the world, or or maybe we won't do anything, we'll just put you back to the beginning of the level, in which case, why are they there? In this case, why why are the... Why are lives here? Like, I need some peril to make sure I'm doing things correctly, but couldn't you just take some coins off me or something and let me carry on? It's just punishing to send me back to the beginning of the level if I die in the boss fight. That seems completely unnecessary and, again, compl- takes away any sense of wanting to explore that I have. If I'm having mm-hmm. to redo the level, I just want to get through it at that point. 
which is a weird feeling to have about a game that I feel so warm towards. The animation's really cool. You know, it's a fun sort of enjoyable game on the surface of it, but it seems to just put these things, be it the level-based system or the save system or the deaths or where you're going to find certain items, it just it kind of saps some of the enjoyment out as I'm actually playing it. I actually had a very different experience with that part in particular where it it kind of seemed like, for me the right level of difficulty and stakes where I didn't die very often, but when I did, it felt bad. But because it's an action puzzle game, you know, redoing uh, what I just did, you know, it it did make me put it down and come back to it the next day. Uh, And then I would beat it and it would be fine. And it also, I did not understand what the golden bones were for until I hit, uh, yeah, one of the bosses and uh, I almost had it defeated and it it got me to zero. And I was like, oh God. And then the dog came out and revived me and I beat him. And it was, it was very satisfying in a, you know, obligatory Dark Souls mention. I don't know. Like, like I, this game comes out a few years after that. Who has any idea? But I do think... I think the issues with it being chunked into levels are very real and having not played much of Luigi's Mansion 1, you know, but having played, I don't know, Ico or or something else where it is this, you know, totality. Yeah, I would love to see the version of this game that doesn't do that. And I think in the first world, it's both especially weird because, you know, you go back to the first uh, thing and you re-get your vacuum cleaner, even though you have a vacuum. It was actually fun to go back to those in that Metroidvania style once you get the the dark light, you know, and start mm-hmm. looking around those pre-dark light levels and find this and that. And and that I enjoyed a lot. But then when you got to the later worlds, it did not feel like they were, you know, there's there's no more sort of discovery powers you receive. So it didn't feel uh, like they were playing with that that much. And yeah, the the, the chunking of it into levels feels like a compromise for it being a completely portable game to some extent. I appreciated that. And I know that, you know, I played this mostly on the subway uh, or, you know, about half. And and certainly it fits that mode and trying to if you do learn the whole house, I think that's what the find every King Boo and play that bonus level is about, where it's on Mm -hmm. such a tight time limit that is really about understanding what connects to what and, you know, being able to, to really know those locations. And maybe we'll get to the locations later. But I do think that, you know, it is a strong point, although the chunking works against it, that those those houses feel, you know, realistic is the wrong word, but there's a certain logic to them besides being just video game locations. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah, and I think that's why we that's why we talked about wanting to be able to explore more, and it feels frustrating yeah. that you can't because they do feel like interesting spaces, and the way that they change would otherwise be interesting. But there's never that point at which you learn the level because from mm. from one one mission to the next it's changed and you've suddenly got a giant spider web cutting you off where there wasn't before or or vice versa you know you can't right. learn the level and learn where to go because they're cutting bits off on different missions so yeah it's just they're, they're yeah they're pushing weird. you i think there's parts of the game that are yeah, a little yeah. less non-linear where even within a quest you can i've definitely gone in the wrong direction of just like i wonder if there's yeah, new yeah. stuff here yeah. and yeah. but yeah it's it's struggling with this kind of desire to be you know a, a nintendo eyes almost immersive sim or open thing with the nintendo requirement especially importably of like you can't let the player get too lost here yeah. Yeah, yeah. and i guess mario yeah, 64 
you know, kind of has the same attitude where like, you know, you have different, but, but there you get to kind of pick your quest as you go. And, and here it is very, right, very much linear. But uh, did anyone play, did anyone unlock any of the big boo levels where, you, you know, if you catch all the boos you get? Because I, I did only for the first world, but I did kind of enjoy kind of having my knowledge of the floor plan tested in that way of just having to, you know, yeah. scoot from room to room as fast as you can and, and zip people up. Yeah, that I did. I did those for for all the levels um, back then. I, I had to <laughs> I had to replay a couple of them to remember that I had done them before. But um, yeah, it does. It does offer a unique challenge there, which is interesting because the the whole as you were talking about um, uh, with the lives before like like there's not a ton of challenge there is in some spots i I would argue that a couple of the boss fights are are pretty challenging and frustrating in a number of ways but um it does kind of give you this kind of stitch together all right you know where everything is now go get after it and um and that does give you a little added challenge if that's what you're looking for which i did but it was not primarily what i was hoping to be able to look for while coming to the game if that makes any sense Let's talk about the individual mansions in particular. Any um, standouts about the gloomy manor? This is the most traditional haunted house location, the first level where you're really kind of finding your feet. And it's where you pick up the two major new mechanical additions to the game, the flashbulb, which is a in addition to your flashlight that, um, that creates a chargeable bright flash like a camera bulb going off, mm-hmm. uh, which is how you stun ghosts in this game instead of just shining your flashlight on them like in the previous Luigi's Mansion. This mechanical addition is carried forward into Luigi's Mansion 3. I think it was a really solid addition. And then you pick up the uh, dark light here, which is a kind of a uh, like using a black light to find, um, you know, blood at a crime scene or something like it's a it's a dark light that you shine on walls and it uncovers secrets and allows you to interact with certain types of paintings and it can reveal invisible objects um so it is more of a kind of exploratory aid as well so with regard to the mansion itself and any of the challenges therein any standouts from the gloomy manor yeah, this is probably where um, I was excited the most just because it did feel very much like that first mansion, not to keep calling mm-hmm. back to the original. Um, but this is kind of why I was there um, for experiences like this. I I think that the boss fight, I know we'll talk to them a little bit uh, later, uh, in the Gloomy Mansion is probably the standout of all the boss fights in the game. Um, this kind of spider you got to kind of knock back and then you basically basically suck the skins off of ghosts a bunch in order to get to its <laughs> core. It's pretty cool. But yeah, I thought the way this level built out, it also served as a really effective tutorial for the things that the game is going to be expecting you to do. Um, it's kind of like a lengthened tutorial um, uh, level. But yeah, no, um, really, really kind of cool puzzles and um, and just... The, just the little indoor outdoor sections that they can like go, going out to the area with the dog house and getting the gem off the tree and all that stuff like it just it's was that fun exploration aspect that i think a couple of these later levels lose a little bit so yeah yeah i'm I'm right there as well i thought this was a really great going from being outside interacting with the plants you know um then coming back later and having to interact with some of the um, objects to provide water in certain areas um getting in through the gate and you know Having the garage on one side where you end up going to get the, um, uh, or like the workshop on one side where you go to get the, the poltergust kitchen on the other side, the corridor down the middle, which would change sort of time and time again. Part of the thing that, you know, mentioning that mission to mission, the level will kind of change around on that first in, in the gloomy manner. 
it felt like, oh, this is putting me on edge. I'm not really sure what I'm going to face, particularly that um, that corridor with the the um, knight statues or the, yeah. the armor, um, where you go in there one time and it's like much darker and none of the statues are there. And you're just like, whoa, hmm. this, I, I don't know what to expect from this. And, and I think this does a really good job of, I feel like I know my way around the gloomy manor better than mm. any of the rest of the game because I was building that map that then by the second level onwards, I was just like, oh, let, let's forget about doing that. I don't need to, I, I don't know why that happened that way, but this felt like, yeah, here, I want to build this out more. I want to find more about this manor rather than going somewhere else, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I think, this and the last one for me are the big standouts, and it might just be because yeah. a real strength of this game is that, as I was saying, they feel somewhat like real locations. They're not just video game mm-hmm. levels. There's a logic to them. And I understand the logic of a big man or more than I do of a mine or a clockwork factory, right? That just on, on some level, like those, I guess, you know, they make sense. But here, you know, you hit the mud room and you're like... What's a mud? Like, do I need a mud room? If I got rich, would I get yeah. a mud room? <laughs> in the final one, like the Treacherous Mansion, has a big spiral staircase that you rotate in a puzzle, and you would not actually get that installed in your manor, probably. But unlike a lot of video games, it at least it kind of makes sense, right? It makes cartoon sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, completely. This manner, yeah. I mean, I, I think uh, partly because you are gaining new discovery powers, and that is, again, what made me like, this is an A-plus game. Like, how did I possibly forget playing this? And then got to the, the second level and the third level. I was like, okay, I, I'm still enjoying this, but I see what made me put this down and not come back to it and forget about it. But yeah, I think... There's an there's an interesting question about why this game is so forgettable, even though we all mm-hmm. liked it to some extent, and I liked it a lot. Yeah. And I think it's because yeah, it has it it because it isn't genuinely horrifying. It lacks emotional resonance, and because the locations you're not strongly connected to, except for these, you know, the first one, the last one, they just do turn into video game levels, even though. There's a lot more work put into them, and they have that that tactility and the visuals and the you know that we'll talk about. I'm sure when we get to the visuals. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Like the the gloomy manor and the treacherous mansion were so much more readable to me as environments. I knew where to expect a hidden door to be because either from the map or from the, what I could see the environment, or just from understanding how a house fits together, how a, a museum should kind of fit together. I understood where the secrets would be. Not mm-hmm. to say that that made them easy, but it made it more satisfying to say, it feels like there should be a door there. Go over there and either with the, the black light or by pulling a, a, a canvas off the wall, revealing what I already intuitively kind of suspected would be there. And what that means they're able to do is they can play with your expectations then. You know, they can say, oh, yeah, there is going to be a door here, but it's not what you think. It's going to flap open and smack you against the wall just because, you know, and that that you know, that's surprising and shocking, but in a really satisfying way when they were able to do that. Whereas with the three in the middle, it's a bit more like, oh, I don't really know what to make of this. I guess it's just Mm -hmm. an interesting aesthetic level, but I don't have that readability, if that makes sense. As we go through each of these levels, uh, let's talk about the relevant bosses in at the same time. So early in development, Miyamoto scrapped all of the bosses that the team had concepted and tested out. Um, They were still in fairly early phases, so they didn't lose a ton of work. But apparently, uh, Miyamoto was very insistent upon 
the bosses being more distinctive and bosses that could only be encountered in a Luigi's Mansion game. And so I'm curious, as the game goes on, I think our opinions on the bosses might um, might take different turns here and there. But um, <laughs> this this first one, as Brian already mentioned, is called the Grouchy Possessor. Um, this is located in the cellar of the Gloomy Manor. It possesses a giant spider. It has infinite HP, but each time that uh, Luigi can expose the ghost within the spider and, and vacuum it up, then he can yank an exposed ghost layer that kind of unpeels like a banana peel. It reveals a smaller ghost inside like a Matryoshka doll. Uh, really interesting, really creative setup. But um, any uh, any big memories or, or stories to tell about the grouchy possessor? I know I already kind of mentioned it, but I, I like I was surprised at how many layers this boss had. No pun intended with the Matroska doll, but like seriously, like like it just the boss fight kept going, and I wasn't upset about it. I wasn't annoyed that it, there was another phase, and because the, uh, the spider kind of keeps breaking down walls, and moving farther back, and so you're kind of fighting it, like moving if you're looking at your screen, kind of as the cardinal direction, south to north, and. And you're moving up and there's these little kind of hazards that come along the way. You got to avoid some attacks. I thought that was I thought it was really inventive and cool. And it made for more of a video gamey challenge than than you had faced so far. Um, and I left that boss fight feeling pretty optimistic about the rest of the game. You're like, OK, this game's going to throw maybe this game's going to throw some things at me that I'm not going to expect. Um, yeah, I'm a big fan of, of that fight. Um, I redid it again uh, this morning. I kind of replayed the first, um, the boss levels of every level this morning uh, before the show. And and the, this still remains the one that I, I feel the strongest about. Let's move on to the Haunted Towers. This is the greenhouse-like level with a lot of plant theming. Again, you, you find a lot of uh, vines with little knots on the end of them which represents that uh it is an object that luigi can suck into his vacuum but uh yeah any uh any thoughts with regard to the haunted towers and the plant-based puzzles within anybody else get stuck on the fact that the beanstalk was a spiral staircase you could walk up because i made yeah. that thing grow and i was like well what do i do now what do what i do, I do now? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then i lucked myself i walked into it and he started moving up like ah okay here i go <laughs> Getting into the tree, I remember that being okay. Yeah, got it. The, here's I can't get across to the door, and then I need to be able to get into the door. And um, but other than that, the it's going to be the boss that I remember most about this. I think actually about this level, I don't know why, but yeah. Other other than obviously it is very plant based, and the greenhouse is kind of cool. Having to navigate through that as it gets more kind of complete, more of a maze, you know, that you need to to navigate. Uh, but yeah, it, the boss is the most memorable thing about this level for me. I think. I enjoyed, uh, I mean, I, it is hard to even say. There, there's an alternate version of this game where you finish the first world, it lets you, it opens up two, three, and four, and, you know, you beat them in whatever order, nibbling on each, and then go to five. And, like, it makes basically as much narrative sense. I don't think it would, you know, structurally, mm. I do wonder how much I like this one more than the next two, just because, you know, it was the second one, and I you know, I had some momentum, uh, but I do. I like the I, I like maybe a big, you know, greenhouse plant science house like it. I don't know what to expect, but uh, maybe it stirs my imagination more than Clockwork Factory or Snowmine. Mm, yeah. But yeah, and I do like the boss on this one a lot as well. I generally liked the bosses. And as I was saying, one strength is game for me is that for whatever reason, it kind of hit the right level of challenge 
where each of them I die a few times and like I, you know, I'd have to figure them out. But then uh, I never got I don't think I ever got stuck in this game, either on a puzzle or an action part where the uh, trick of put it down, forget about it, come back to it the next day, pick it up mm. and now just beat it didn't basically work. And I and this boss definitely hit that uh, happy medium of like, I got stuck, put it down, came back, you know, remembered the patterns. Good level uh, is, uh, I don't know, fun, fun to get the uh, hydroelectric plant working. I did find that satisfying. I also felt the mission structure of the game, which I was lamenting earlier, did make the toad escort mission not like... Um like a abys- like an abysmal experience, you know. We always a lot of escort missions get lambasted in games and everything, but like you kind of find Toad and Bert use the dark light to bring him back to life or bring him out of the painting. And and I, I found those sections kind of interesting because here you're navigating these spaces you were already in, but finding try, having to find an interesting way to get across them. Um, and yeah, I thought I thought that was well done for as far as those types of levels go. It's funny, I didn't even really think of those Toad parts as escort missions, because can Toad die? Like, can you fail it by... Toad just runs around and screams, right? He just runs away, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, he's not actually (laughs) in danger. So, yeah, I think that's the thing that makes it not frustrating, except occasionally... I don't know. There's one puzzle where you got to figure out how to, you know, get them across or whatever. Right. Plant-based horror is always a kind of an interesting subgenre. It's it's not super heavily explored. You have your kind of Day of the Triffids and Little Shop of Horrors type of stuff, but it is always interesting to kind of play with because they are, you know, obviously plants, very familiar, very mundane to us, but uh, we recognize that they are alive. They do move. They are reactive to their environment, but they move so slowly that we can't even like perceive it with our naked eyes. And so I think there's a lot of fun to kind of play around with in that um it does create that level of unpredictability. It's not a super heavily worn genre trope uh, to the point at which it becomes stale and predictable. So, you know, in that sense, it's uh, it's a fun theme. I think it probably wears a little bit thin with the amount of of legwork they kind of put it through here. But um, overall, it's you know, I, I tend to kind of prefer when there's like maybe one or two rooms that are plant based instead of like an entire like twenty percent of the game, but it's uh yeah interesting theme um i think multiple of us have hit on that uh boss fight which is a possessed staircase this time around <laughs> i really liked the fact that it felt like i was cheating to be able to look further up the staircase and spot the safe route <laughs> before i got there so i could do it i could spot like three further staircases ahead was as far as I could see before I lost the the route. So it felt like cheating. It wasn't. Obviously, it was intentional that um, when you run up, the staircase, you know, goes slick and turns into a ramp and shoots you back down and um, then starts illuminating the path, uh, or rather de-illuminating the path. So instead of the the blue torches uh, at top and bottom and each side of each, uh, each of the three staircase options you have on every level, one of those goes out to show the safe route, I think is the way around it, it works. Uh, so yeah, I, I quite liked that despite the fact it was obviously intentional, I was able to feel like I was gaming the system a little bit and getting a little bit of a sneaky uh, sneaky extra couple of staircases in each time. Moving on to the next level, the Old Clockworks, which is a haunted factory. Uh, not a setting that I see overused in horror, so I, I do appreciate their um, kind of ingenuity uh, with that one. I, I can think of like the the final portion of the 
Resident Evil Village and uh, a few other, you know, kind of notable examples here and there. Um, but it is, it's a unique theme. Um, it incorporates a lot of the kind of like mechanical platformery type of type of investigations that you would uh, associate with this type of setting in other games. Um, any standouts about the old clockworks? Um, I think it's a really cool aesthetic. I think my my um, kind of standout in terms of what I enjoyed, although it's obviously a very long boss fight, is is the boss fight. Oh, I can't believe I'm going to say, can I just bring up a negative about the clockworks? <laughs> because, <laughs> because it feels like that's all I'm doing. Um, but this is kind of where I ended up comparing this game a lot to the Lego games in that they feel like, okay, you've got light puzzle, fairly light uh, sort of combat s- uh, scenarios to deal with. And in the Lego games, whenever I get stuck on what turns out to be a really simple puzzle and I'm overcomplicating it or just didn't see the thing, I can always just break everything open and I'm always getting studs for that and it doesn't really matter if enemies keep respawning because I can just get rid of them. Whereas in this game, I had just enough leeway to kind of end up walking away from where I needed to go or what I needed to do. Um, One example of that in the Clockworks was there's a point where you've got like a a wire slide, like a rope slide, but it's wire uh, that takes you across from one side of the room to the other. And I felt really Mm. clever the first time I went across that because I dropped right onto the platform in the middle where where, uh, the cog is. And because I dropped onto that and then came to the cog and went over to the left-hand side, pulled the um the bridge across from where i it turns out it should have ended up on the left and what that meant was i was then looking for the route on the left hand side to go forwards because i'd done a difficult thing i wasn't meant to do by timing the drop right onto that middle platform i completely missed that the way i was meant to go was on that middle platform backwards into the in to the screen if you like Mm -hmm. it's just stuff like that where in a Lego game, there's always something to do that I can get some studs from, or I can just keep doing stuff until I brute force my way to a solution. Whereas in this game, if I got wrong-footed at any point, it felt like I just ended up a certain amount of stuck. That example in the Clockworks was something that kind of stuck with me as a, in a Lego game, I'd be having fun here. <laughs> Almost. <laughs> it's a really horrible thing to say, because it's it's not the designer's fault necessarily that I did a weird thing and and ended up not seeing the path i was supposed to take through a room but yeah just a little bit of frustration here and i think part of the the thing i was saying about the readability of the first and last levels just kind of got lost a bit here because there's no reason to inherently think that there should have been a door where it turns out there was a door for me at least yeah i think well you know that a few of the times i got stuck put it down and came back it was just i didn't see a thing or i did not realize something was you know, uh, load-bearing mechanically as opposed to just sort of part of the background. And that's a, a yeah, common yeah. thing with these sorts of games. Yep, for sure. This is the first part of the game where I felt like everything looked almost... I don't, I don't want to say intentionally nondescript. That That's probably a little too harsh. It just... Everything looked very samey. Everything's very brown. Yeah. The rooms didn't really stand out to me in a way that the rooms in the previous two levels did. This is kind of the part of the game where I felt like it was losing some of its identity, at least... and. That's probably more of a me problem because of what my expectations for a Luigi's Mansion game are, you know, or were at the time. Um, but this, like, everything felt just out of place to me. I didn't quite know what, you know, it just seemed like here's this video game level that you're going to go through and, and you're going to do all these puzzles relating to the clock and getting the gears and doing all that stuff. But mm. nothing felt standout. Um, and I think a lot of that I can attribute to the visual design because in mo- in the other first two levels, even in the areas of the towers, which I didn't think were particularly great areas of gameplay there was always fun little things to interact with or different parts of the environment you could you know 
I mean, I'm, I'm maybe I'm a simpleton, but sometimes sometimes just, you know, seeing the animations of a curtain responding to your vacuum are enough to make me think, oh, that was a cool room. You know what I mean? Then yeah. I move on. Mm-hmm. This area yeah. did not have that level of interactivity or if it did, it wasn't visually interesting enough for me to to try that out or, or to seek it out, should I say. Was was this the first level where the dog ran away with a key as well? When you're going the very first level, you get the key no. from EGAD and you go to the front door and the dog just nabs it. And it's just like, that felt cool. But looking back on it now, it's like, oh, there was a lot of that. Yeah, yeah. no, that <laughs> happened in <laughs> the like, second world. the dog, but... And oh, uh, it was enjoyable. Okay. And then it happens again in the third world and you're like, yeah, I got enough of this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. By, by the end of the game, it was very much, yeah. It introduces a, a neat mechanic of using the dark light to, to track, you know, the trail. Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There's, yeah. It, 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 the, the, I think the main thing is this really is the brownest world by an order of magnitude. Uh, yeah. I think that really does just kind of nail <laughs> yeah. it. And yeah, that that the it being a factory, I don't really, you know, maybe I just uh, the, to alienate from uh, my roots in the working class to know how a clock factory is laid out. But there's that thing of, <laughs> yeah, this this I don't have a sense of what's going to be where. And it's not uh, there's not a sense of discovery. There's no mud room or something like that where I'm like, oh, that's <laughs> that's what's in a clock factory. Maybe the roundhouse, although I'm still not sure what the hell that's about. Uh, and it just doesn't <laughs> in a weird way. Maybe it's part of it's realism is again the wrong word here but like it doesn't want to be too video gamey but then it's not leaning into what is fun about clocks in a video game world which is generally uh i mean luigi can't jump so you're not getting a lot of true platforming in some uh crazy way like that but you know like it, it i don't know yeah it's a disappointing clock world it really is just a a factory where they make an item I did like, I did, we haven't talked about the boss yet, but I did, I do enjoy that format of boss, the kind of uh, prices, right? I don't know. Here's a cavalcade of little, you know, mini games, sort yep. of. Uh, but yep. yeah, overall, I th- this is where I gave up the last time. And as I was saying this, I was like, yeah, if I wasn't playing this for a show, uh, I might put this down now and think I would come back and, you know, might not. Yeah, not not to uh, jump straight into the boss, Ryan. I don't no, mean let's to, go for to it. Talk about that. the boss. Um, I the the shift of perspective did kind of mess with me a little bit, but I found it just like a. Even though sometimes I couldn't really tell like where like I mean, you could tell where things were coming from, you know, obviously top down, but um, you get kind of swarmed in a few different areas. There it at least was a fundamental shift in the gameplay from what i had been doing so i found that interesting at at least i don't i don't think the the combat like focusing on luigi's man uh mansion from a combat perspective i don't think that you're not leaning into the game's strengths but um but i did appreciate the 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 shift there um kind of in the same way that we'll talk about the next boss even though the next boss i have very many negative things to say about but um at least it was trying something different which i always appreciate yeah, yeah, I like this one. Um, going twelve rounds as you go around the clock face. I think they split up with like three three rounds that were slightly slightly different. Um, mm-hmm. But but yeah, and and obviously the the boss then comes out three times as you go around the face as well, or at least a couple of times. Um, but but yeah, it, it was a nice shift in perspective. I think it's satisfying. I think it once I realized oh we're stopping on every hour as this goes round. That felt like, oh, this is going to take a while. This is a, this is a full leveling of itself. 
conceptually, I think it's something that sticks with me when I think about this level. The boss is kind of where the clockwork bit made sense because um, yeah. actually there's a couple of other levels that have clockwork devices that are more memorable than the old clockworks, which is just mm-hmm. bizarre to me. Like both the the first level and, and the last level with the, the staircase that turns, those are more memorable clockwork devices for me. The the first level's the the fish tank that goes down. Really simple. You're just putting a gear in and the fish tank goes down. But that was a memorable moment with something that is clearly clockwork or mechanical in that way. The boss is what I remember from this as being clockwork, even though the mechanics of it being a clock face aren't really necessarily interacted with it's just Mm. a conceptually really cool thing i think uh you know you're in for 12 rounds reminded me a bit of uh cuphead when you get to uh the penultimate level on there and you're kind of playing the the dice game and and that obviously makes a mini game of it in this case it's just no you're getting 12 rounds of a fight there you go uh i thought if there'd been something like that where depending upon you were able to push the hands or choose which fights you took something like that would have made it even more memorable but conceptually still memorable i think the level design really doesn't have like there should be a moment in this level where luigi pulls some big thing and the map changes right where you know everything moves like it's a transformer or something uh the whole place is clockwork whatever but it really doesn't lean into it and uh which is a shame because we haven't mentioned you know the the 3ds having you know the bottom screen where you already have the map is is mm-hmm. a big part of what makes this game, you know, uh, not frustrating. And you could mm-hmm. you could play yeah. with that in ways they did not. That was a really good point about the map. I um, hadn't really considered that until you just brought it up. But of course, like having that instant reference down there does does add a lot to just your ability to know where you are at any given time, for sure. A puzzle none of us would have thought of because we're all a little older, but I did realize talking to my students is uh, the only reason they know how to read an analog clock is because of video games. (laughs) But they all do because it's always a puzzle. And, you know, any escape room, any, you know, like, we don't even think of it as a puzzle. We're just like, oh, it's 7.30. Okay, well, I guess we make this 7.30. Even Resident Evil 4 remake recently, uh, the clock puzzle in there. Yeah, there we go. The next level is the Secret Mine, a snow level and an underground mine cave. Um, I think that it does kind of get the best of both worlds with regard to this kind of split theming. The snow level up above in which you are kind of traversing this kind of small cabin space with a really kind of cozy interior, which is nice. Mm. Um, And then once you get down below the ground, there's some ice formations and stuff, but for the most part, it does feel very, very cave-like, very claustrophobic down there. So an interesting level from from that kind of aesthetic perspective anyways. Um, I think most of the conversation on this level will probably be spent on the boss though. So any any points that we want to hit before we get to that boss? Uh, yeah, I really liked that this was quite vertical. As you say, you've got the cabins up top and then you kind of make your way down through the ice and the rock down to the mines down below. Uh, I definitely felt that despite having the map there, it made it tougher to navigate. Mm-hmm. Yep. Wh- yeah. Which floor I needed to go to to get up or down to the objective wasn't always clear. Um, and a couple of times I ended up getting in like to the point of being lost where it took me like at least twice if not three times as long to complete the level as it really should have uh one in particular uh going down the the long slide where you've got to kind of navigate your way around obstacles to get to the Mm -hmm. bottom i just didn't see the ice wall there 
that I should have realised yeah. was there but didn't. You go into an open cavern, there's no way to progress forward, and so I went elsewhere looking for a route forward up to the next level and, and ended up getting a bit frustrated there. Uh, but the the one that really got me was where you have to... There's a, a bunch of points in the game where you're uh, you have to balance across a narrow walkway. In this one, there's oh, a narrow yeah. walkway that's windy. I, 19 times, because I had five health mm. left, dropped off there... Because yeah. I I started off thinking, right, I need to hold it still. No, that doesn't work. <laughs> right. I put it against my chest to try and brace it to hold it still and still wasn't. I'm like, I am not moving this thing. I, I'm really not. And then what I realized was I was being far too subtle and trying to be far too gentle with it. You just push forward, run as fast as you can, and just wang the thing left to right <laughs> in the opposite direction from which way Luigi's falling. It's like, I've never felt so stupid for trying to be subtle with the game, <laughs> with, with the game control in my life as just, no, just, just run. And when he leans right, just swing, just basically throw it to the left and then vice versa and you'll be fine. It's just like, but all the other walkways because they didn't have wind going across them i could take a bit more gently and kind of work my way across it just it felt like something that really wasn't uh signaled to me why i was going wrong to the tune of falling off 19 times as i say which was just yeah that wasn't a fun moment it was a bad (laughs) evening on this game (laughs) <laughs> I did not get stuck on that because I mostly play this uh, on the subway. And so every one of these was like that. So I just got very in the habit of... <laughs> got used yeah. to quickly. Good yeah. point. Good point. <laughs> Run yeah. real fast and just... Uh, I, I'm sure a person on uh, the subway in 2023 moving their 3DS back and forth, uh, you know, hopefully someone had that on their bingo card. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's, let's talk about that boss. Um, this is one of those... One of those moments that I think really kind of broke the game for me. Um, the boss I should describe is a uh, called the Shrewd Possessor or the Scornful Possessor in the British localization. This is a large face made out of ice that falls down a large hole. Uh, Luigi is kind of plummeting down this hole after him with some sort of a contraption that has cannons on it. Oh, uh, let me let me describe it real quick. Um, oh, yeah, sure. Somehow there is a uh, a bomb cannon that has been strapped to two skis that is made out of wood <laughs> that somehow, as the hole is dug, falls off of a shelf and careens down the hole, hitting Luigi just so right that he ends up falling in the seat of this downhill sledding bomb cannon which it's, uh, uh, yeah which it's proper slapstick that's our cartoon ex- logic there it should yeah. explain itself yes he, he, he does it multiple times as well right he keeps yes, falling yeah, on multiple that, yeah. times yes yeah i'm the, sorry so right. this uh this large ice face has several kind of protective armor plates that uh that spin around this um the circular shaft and luigi has to fire the bombs from these cannons so that they bounce into these armor plates uh, to destroy them and, um, and and damage the boss in that way. But uh, it is very difficult, I would say, to to plan out the trajectory of yeah. when the bomb is going to make uh, contact with these armor plates. Like how much how much you need to lead the um, to get the the bomb in the right place. It's timing and trajectory. Yeah, yeah. And I would say that it's it's not only a bad boss fight with like i guess in comparison with this game like i would say this is like an all-timer bad boss fight like in the grand pantheon of video (laughs) games like i found it personally very frustrating and just very disappointing that like it's one of those moments where 
you think like this is in a Nintendo game. Like, did nobody play this to test to see if it was any fun? Like, how did this get through to the final version of the game? And apparently a game in which Miyamoto had a lot of say in, in with regard to like the bosses aren't hitting his standard yet. Start over. Like, how did this not get the chopping block? I mean, you can't deny it was unique. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was definitely uniquely Luigi's Mansion. Yeah, that was uh that was something else. I I found myself both in my first playthrough and then and then doing it again today uh, just just wildly frustrated with it. The the physic like so the face is rotating. Yeah. So you can always get the middle pieces of armor by kind of bouncing a bomb short of it and it bounces up and hits the middle. But then the rest of it, you kind of have to careen these shots off the walls, depending on which side you're in. My best, my best strategy for it was going off the left side of the wall. So it would bounce to the right and the, the, the face is rotating clockwise. So it would always kind of rotate into where my bomb would hit. But even that was just like, it was so wonky and I couldn't get it right. And just getting so frustrated, just wanting to be done with this fight. Yeah. It's, it's a rough, it's rough one to get yeah. through, yeah. I, I've never felt more badass than the one round where I just fired the six or seven shot, however many shots it is, and hit <laughs> the the block every single time, new block hit, and then straight into the mouth. And I've awesome. never simultaneously felt more inept when I finally managed to get all the blocks down after who knows how many shots because I was yeah. missing them all the time. And then it came towards me and I missed the shot into the mouth <laughs> and then died and had to restart the level. Uh. Just like, oh my word. Yeah. It's the perfect example of, I know what I need to do. The game's just not letting me do it. There's no, like, it's the worst part of a puzzle game where you're like, no, no, I know what the solution is. I just can't get this the controls and me to yeah. vibe enough to get it to work. Can we just agree that I, I've solved your puzzle, your problem, and <laughs> let's move on? You know, and uh, yeah, it is what it is. I, I came around on it. Uh, <laughs> no, I, it's fine because I thought this was the last world uh, just because of the size of the Dark Moon piece or whatever. I was confused. So uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought this was the classic like, oh, this is like a, a semifinal boss where they're just introducing an entirely new mechanic. Uh, that's annoying. And yeah, I found I mean, this is definitely one where I died a few times. I put it down. I came back to it the next day. And it's not like I immediately beat it by any means then. But it ended up almost being frustrating, but but actually, you know, borderline uh, uh, very satisfyingly challenging and genuinely frustrating. Uh, I wouldn't say by any means my favorite part of the game or my favorite boss, maybe my least favorite, I guess, but I liked the bosses of this game are generally a strength to me. And yeah, if this is the worst one, and I think it really is just a, a probability thing in some sense of like, I got lucky in some way, right? You know, you know, I got to beat it once. Uh, and maybe if I hadn't beaten it that time, I would have had to do it another 20 times and, uh, you know, been very, very frustrated. But, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I don't I Also, I don't know. How much did you all have the 3D cranked up? Because that was definitely a big part of the timing for me was I could not do this flat or even. It's, yeah, it, it's it probably the place to mention it as, as any. Um, I ended up turning it off because for whatever reason, I when they released the new, I think it was the new 3DS that had the extra, like, sort of wasn't I, was it eye detection almost, where yeah. they could track where you were looking and they could kind of, like, yep. move the 3D around to give it a bigger sweet spot. 
great, but I never felt I needed it at the time when I was playing it. I was like, no, I can always kind of hold it just right. That's gone. My hmm. eyesight is worse, or I was kidding myself, or whatever. I couldn't get a sweet spot where I could hold it comfortably well enough that the 3D was worth having on. And I think that probably meant that when you use the uh, the black light to reveal an item and it puts out the, like the spirit orbs, mm-hmm. I because of the way it controls, we'll get to that, and because of not having the 3D on, two, more times than it should have, not to yeah. the point where it was ridiculous, but more times than it should have, I thought I was hoovering up a, a sphere and just wasn't pointing in the right direction, and I couldn't mm-hmm. tell, and it went yep. back in that to do the thing again. It's not a, not a problem, not a frustration. It's just that was the only time I felt, oh, I should be able to see this in 3D, but because of the way the 3D is working and my eyes just not being what they were, I guess, I just wasn't able to have the 3D on, which is frustrating because this may be certainly second to Super Mario 3D Land for me, but this is a really good example of, no, it, it the 3D adds something here. Yeah, um, yeah, totally. Yeah. I I tried very hard to play with it on for most of the time. Um, I I'm not sure if I mentioned this before. I think I might have mentioned it to Jesse. We were talking one time, but um, I I played the entirety of Majora's Mask on the 3DS in 3D, and mm. something about that however many hour thirty forty hours I spent with that game and that experience broke my eyes like for ever <laughs> doing 3D <laughs> again. Like it just yes. I put I the the minute I see it put on now like my my stomach just wants to wow. roll. I don't know why. Yeah, yeah it's weird. Mm. Um, so uh, but I played with it quite a bit um for this game but i would it was one of those things that would be contact sensitive so i would slide it on and then once i did the thing immediately slide it off just to save myself there but well you're gonna love the majora's mask port on the virtual boy that one's gonna really make it up (laughs) all the red lines uh the king of red lines am i right there it is Uh, as as someone who has emulated the Virtual Boy in their Oculus Quest, because I am that sort of freak, and uh, <laughs> you know, on the Quake episode, never played Quake until I got the VR port and then fell in love with it. There's definitely, and maybe we can get, you know, I think one reason I might have enjoyed this game, maybe I guess the most of the four of us is, you know. I always have the 3D cranked to max, even on the subway. I would, you know, if it was too bumpy, I'd have to turn it off, but then I would just go play something else. Uh, and I do have the new 3DS because, yeah, because yeah, the Super yeah. Sable yeah, sure. 3D was like the selling point to me even more than the Circle Pad Pro. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, that's fair. I don't know. I come from a, my sister owns a lot of Viewmaster reels. There's just something about. <laughs> <laughs> let's uh, let's conclude the gameplay walkthrough with the treacherous mansion and the final boss fight. After that, the treacherous mansion is a haunted museum, as we mentioned up at the beginning. Um, there are two bosses that are kind of associated with this last leg of the of the game. Uh, there is the tough possessor, a uh, fight against possessed suits of armor that ultimately culminates in a giant suit of armor that stomps down giant feet from above that you have to pull rugs out from underneath, which I also found to be a little bit frustrating in getting the positioning of everything just right and Luigi's weird momentum not always being suitable for getting out of the way of these large kind of screen-filling attacks. And then uh, then King Boo after that as a final boss fight, which is kind of an interesting swap between both kind of a tilty platform with obstacles that would roll around that you have to avoid while combating King Boo as well as running kind of almost auto runner like hallway sequences that would break up that fight. But on top of that, I would say as kind of a final gauntlet for the game, 
the final mission of the Treacherous Mansion is on a pretty, what I found to be a pretty tough time limit in that it doesn't give you, well, it, it does give you some direction as to where to go. There are several rooms that you have to clear out, but it's kind of up to you in what order you decide to clear them out. Each of them is on kind of a separate countdown and you couldn't let any of those countdowns expire. They weren't all on the same countdown. And so you kind of had to judge whether you should go clear out a room that is closer by because of the uh, shorter traversal length of time it would take to get there as you're kind of mapping out your route or to to clear out rooms that are um, closer to expiring in their individual countdowns. So I would say between those three, those are kind of the those are each final bosses in their own interesting particular ways. So uh, in this final leg of the journey, I guess before I, yeah, just open up for thoughts. Um, the only thing that I really have to say is that the uh, the time limit final mission I found to be again pretty frustrating in that. I didn't necessarily feel like I was doing anything wrong. I, I felt like I was making reasonable decisions throughout that would be punished by just not doing it exactly in the way that the, the developers intended. Um, there's there's a bit of exploration that's involved in that as well. That being on a time limit, I, I feel like it doesn't quite doesn't quite gel. So there's just a few things in the design that I felt kind of worked against my success in a way that I didn't necessarily feel was my fault, leading to another bit of kind of end game frustration there. But uh, eventually got through it, got through the final boss, the two final bosses, I guess, yeah, opening up for any more thoughts from the panel. The first time I did the time limit kind of uh, sequence, really frustrating because I didn't understand the time limits were different from room to room. Don't know how, missed it. The second time, I got the experience that I think was intended, which was enough pressure, but I also know the level by that point. So I pick my route, I go around, I do it. Feels really great to have kind of rooted and and combated my way through the sequence on the time limit and made it. But yeah, it was very much that dichotomy of, and once I knew what I was doing, I think fondly of this, but my my uh, note that I wrote down as I was playing it was the timer on the multi-stage second to last mission and the live situation in general turgid. I don't feel that about it now, but I also have a tough time defending that that is how I felt about it the first time around. Right. This this whole sequence of missions felt like a uh, like a return to what, what I love out of this game or the things that I like up for, like from this game. And it's not just the environment. I'm sure that has a big part to do with it. It's very much like a haunted mansion, but um, it just, the, I thought the puzzles were a little bit more inventive. The, the locale was a little bit more engaging. I found the last two bosses as frustrating as you did, Ryan, uh, particularly the, when you get to those hallway sequences in the King Boo fight, I just, there is, yeah. they're not forgiving in any way, shape or form. And, and if you're even strapped for health in any way, in, in any section, you're, you're going to have to restart the whole thing. And then that's a frustrating aspect of it. But um, it was, as far as the actual level leading up to those, though, I thought it was one of the higher points of the game. Um, I, yeah, I, I, I'm really happy I played through this, you know, and, and maybe would have, uh, stopped playing through if I had just picked it up again on the third or fourth world, if we weren't doing this podcast, but, uh, mm-hmm. it was worth it because this mansion, uh, it rocks. It is both, yeah, it kind of has that quasi realistic, but it's also a museum. So there's just, you know, there's a dark ages exhibit. There's an ice age exhibit. Mm-hmm. There's, and there's all of these, you know, the magic portals you unlock, uh, in the foyer, 
uh, will, you know, helpfully have snow or, you know, whatever in front of them. So you don't have to remember which is which. Yeah, you know where they're going. And, you know, it's that perfect balance of kind of, I mean, I guess this is, again, like realism isn't the point. Sort of being memorable is the point, right? And there's ways in which this stuff is memorable mm -hmm. through being completely ludicrous. And there's ways memorable in being grounded in your expectations from reality. Uh, and yeah, I think this level hits it on both counts. I, again, I think it might be part of having the 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 last upgrade that you get at twenty thousand coins, which basically doubles the speed of your vacuum, uh, sucking things up. That uh, on the time part, I was I would occasionally hit a part where I realized it was timed, and like a three minute counter would come down. But um, it just yeah, I I didn't uh, hit that time limit, so it it just seemed like a level where I was. Like those boo levels, and I guess it was kind of like, well, if you didn't do those big boo bonus levels, now we're going to test that same, like, run around this place and kind of know how to get from here to there. But this time you did have those those portals that at least does make that a little easier. So it, um, yeah, I mean, I, I enjoyed all this. I thought the, the night boss was kind of tough and the um, King Boo at the end was kind of tough in both cases. Died a few times, put it down beat it on the second or third try, you know, the time I came back. And that that's just, again, for whatever reason, this hit my sweet spot of that experience of, uh, I don't know, there is a pleasure I take in, especially because I am uh, nearing 50, you know, seeing my brain improve at something over a span of time mm -hmm. while I, you know, put it down. Even if it, it's sort of this little candy cartoon version of, you know, the real life experience that you sometimes have of like, you do something, you're bad at it, you come back, and something slightly magical happened in the back of your brain to be like, this isn't so bad. Uh, and yeah, a lot of what I enjoyed about this game kind of had that experience over and over. And I think every boss on this, including the train one, which I think might be the one I got the most stuck on. Yeah, actually, that uh, that that train fight, uh, I I did I I did enjoy that. I thought that was a good encounter. It was like clever use where you had to kind of it, how how you got him trapped on the train and then how you angled yourself appropriately and kind of thought about your spacing which will i guess probably need to quickly discuss controls uh not necessarily the easiest thing to do on a single analog stick but when you kind of got into the rhythm yeah really satisfying popping each of the individual boos into the train yeah that was uh that was a, a fun set piece i thought Moving on to one final section of the gameplay, there was a multiplayer mode included. Um, this was the Scare Scraper, which returned in Luigi's Mansion 3, uh, or known as the Thrill Tower in UK, Australia. Um, I never played the multiplayer on this uh, no. this game in particular. Uh, did anybody on the panel play any of the multiplayer? Mm. Yeah, I've been, I've been playing it. I, I didn't play it the first time, but I started playing it... Uh, because of interest for the podcast, but I really enjoy it. Uh, I've played it a little bit online. I got to play it a little bit with two students uh, down at the Game Center Library because uh, we had those cartridges, but they weren't really experienced enough at it to get the full experience. Uh, and I played it some solo. And I think it's, again, there's some aspect of this game that hits for me, and it might have to do with having the 3D slider all the way up about spacing and about the slightly awkward controls where it is difficult to necessarily flash multiple ghosts at once and, you know, start picking them all up. But if you do, um, it's very, very satisfying. And I do feel like the game cheats a little in your favor of as long as you're pulling in the correct direction for one of those ghosts, you know, they're they're all kind of coming along for the ride. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I it, it, this is you're running around, you're searching around for the you know ghosts, and there's a whole lot of dark light portraits that will have either power ups or coins or whatever. Uh, but basically, it is kind of that second to last level, uh, but just on a really tight time limit, and you can play with up to three other people, and you're all you know running around and. You, of course, can't talk, but your control pad does do, you know, help me. Thank you, uh, Mario, whatever the four things you can say are. On those controls, like you mentioned, there was a, a bit of adaptation that was needed from the GameCube mm-hmm. original, and I think that they handled it pretty well. The GameCube original made use of both of the analog sticks, including that that you know, kind of half stick C, um, C stick. C yeah. stick. Yeah, that wasn't quite, you know, it wasn't too equal equal and parallel kind of sticks like we're used to seeing on modern uh consoles but um but you did have to use both of them in parallel one to kind of move luigi around and the other to can kind of provide like a counter pull to the ghosts in the direction that they were going the 3ds of course the original model of the 3ds only has one one stick analog so to speak a uh the the circle pad the new 3DS does have that little tiny nub, but even that I don't think would really be suitable for the type of um, of gameplay that uh, that the GameCube original had. Um, then there was, of course, the Monster Hunter like Circle uh, Circle Pad Pro attachment that um, this that was developed kind of at the same time that this game was in development, and it wasn't really a consideration to to incorporate. They more than anything, they just needed to get a control scheme that worked kind of right out of the box uh, with anybody's 3DS um, that kind of simplified what the GameCube original was doing and uh, for the for the fewer um, input methods that were available to them on the 3DS. And um, I think they did a pretty good job of kind of consolidating all of that down to the one circle pad input um, Apparently, they went through around ten iterations of different control schemes before they found one that that the team and Miyamoto were particularly happy with. Any, uh, I, I guess, any thoughts about the control, the way that this game controls compared to um, the first Luigi's Mansion? It feels enough like that first one to do the work that your brain needs to do to be like it. The controls exactly the same, even though it doesn't. You know, um, it. It, a lot of that has to do with just the way everything feels when when it's in motion. Um, I think the game's incredibly mm-hmm. smooth. Like just the animation of Luigi walking around, it, he's inherently fun to control. Which I know that's kind of like the mantra over there, but um, yeah, it's just like you, you you pick it up, and there's no doubt to me that I at the time thirty whatever year old Brian was going to be playing it and and figuring it out. But also the you get the feeling that you know give anybody who's seen a couple video games pick that up and within a few minutes they're going to have a general sense of of what you have to do um not particularly difficult and i think that um where this game succeeds is what in jesse had already talked about in the uh when you are tackling multiple ghosts or coming from an angle, it, it's a little bit more generous with the you have to pull in the opposite direction mechanic that those windows have definitely widened uh from the original game um and that was a that that's to the game's benefit obviously i think it, uh no one is is looking for your ghost catching mini game to be like a fishing mini game where you have to you know do everything the right way or whatever to to get your catch it's uh it i think that's been refined in a, in a way that makes a lot of sense it's funny you say that because I, I 
was exactly thinking of it in the context of a fishing game because I have yeah. uh, my stepbrother recently got a quest and we've been playing VR real fishing or what, real VR fishing a fair amount a game I hadn't really played before and it's it's very fun but right has the you know pull in the opposite direction control that this was uh, very much reminding me of but you know I suppose the difference is in a fishing game you're not also getting pulled right and there were moments right. in this where I could like lodge myself behind a chair or something. Or manage to, you know, you could use the B button to dodge a little when another enemy was, you know, cranking up. But like, this is, I mean, that's what got me through the, you know, the mid parts of like the third and the fourth world for this game for me was just, I really like how this game feels. And and the basic combat is not too difficult, but very satisfying in a way that makes me want to, I'll probably keep playing more Scarescraper after we're done with this show. Uh, and um, yeah. Yeah, I, I obviously can't compare it to uh, Luigi's Mansion, but uh, I was playing on a 3DS XL um, and so wouldn't have had the option of a nub even if they'd included that. I didn't have a Circle Pad Pro, and I think probably a good idea for them not to have spent any time putting a control scheme in for Circle Pad Pro just because you couldn't make that this game exclusive to that uh, add-on and expect to sell six plus million units that just wasn't going to happen so it needed to work for everyone and obviously on a single uh analog stick albeit a circle pad i i can never quite get my brain around it so uh because i you don't have uh, a independent camera it's weird to have a character have a turning circle that's just kind of a bizarre thing right because you can turn on the spot as a person you just can so having a turning circle where you kind of i would always need to kind of feel like i was navigating a car around rather than a right. person that's just the way my brain kind of thinks of it but th that's absolutely fine um where i did come unstuck in another uh aspect where at the time deeply frustrating the three sisters fight was the first mm. point at which i died in the game i just could not get my head around well obviously i want to pull in the correct direction to grab the ghost right the problem is this is the, i think one of the first times in the game where you've actively got ghosts that you can't see who are going to pop out and and hit you, uh, certainly in in a, a boss fight like that, and and I definitely came uh, unstuck a little bit there, just because I wasn't thinking right. I don't have to always be pulling back. I don't have to go for maximum suck if you like on the <laughs> the, um, the poltergust. I can let it go and maneuver myself a bit. And that, that push and pull, again, now thinking yeah. back to it, really cool that they put that into a boss fight. At the time, deeply frustrating because I was like, well, how can I do this then? But you you sacrifice the, the power of the vacuum in order to maneuver yourself away from the ghosts that are about to attack. A really smart way of showing you you can do that. I was just a bit slow to pick up on it, unfortunately. Let's talk about the presentation the implementation of 3D is something that we've mentioned throughout. And I would say that for me, this is one of the big standouts about the game. I think the 3D is implemented brilliantly here. The environments look great uh, with regard to what they were able to accomplish on a lower powered piece of hardware. But for me, the thing that stands out the most in my memory is Luigi's flashlight. When he would shine it into the, into the um, screen, you got a really great lens flare that felt like it intelligently interacted with the 3D to make it look like the light was really shining through the screen in a way more convincing way than I've seen in pretty much any other game. Um, the light, mm -hmm. I think, looks wonderful in uh, in this game, as well as 
there's a lot of dust and particles and stuff floating around in the air. And that would kind of yeah. interface with the 3D to make everything feel a little bit more present, uh, like these little dioramas. So um, I, I I really can't get enough of the excellent aesthetic work that went into the world designs in particular. Uh, animations are great, as should be expected for next level games. But yeah, just a, a really great looking game on the 3DS might be, I think, maybe the best looking game, in my opinion, on the platform. Yeah, it's 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 definitely I never played Animal Crossing New Horizons, uh, so I can't compare it. But in terms of a little diorama that you just, you know, uh, throw yourself into in some sense. And as I was saying, I was playing this on the subway, you know, going to work in the morning or something. And I would be able to lose myself and just kind of, uh, you know, focus on this little, um, you know, I have the XL. So it's at least, you know, two or three mm -hmm. inch screen. But still, <laughs> I found this game more immersive than a lot of VR platform, you know, similar games I have played, despite the, you know, the externality of the experience. Yeah, I mean, in in some way, my biggest criticism of, of especially a couple of those later worlds are the tactility of the presentation, you know, writes checks it can't quite cash in terms of the actual level of stuff to discover or mechanical cleverness sometimes. But it, uh, you know, everything wiggles, you know, just everything. Uh, and Luigi is <laughs> incredibly animated. One thing going back to Luigi's Mansion 1 was I was surprised at how bad his walk cycle is. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things I was mm -hmm. impressed about in that game. But even, you know, post Mario 64, he just kind of just sort of glides along almost. Uh, and everything in this game is that or the other one that's made me think of, which I also haven't played, is the remake of that. What's the Game Boy Color? Link's Awakening. Uh, which is not really in 3D, but has that lovely plasticine kind of, you know, this is a little diorama world you could escape into quality. But yeah, of, of that, kind, you know, that's the other thing that would actually get me to come back to this. And I'm a big 3DS nut because it is just a, in some sense a unemulatable experience. I, I, I yeah. bought a second new 3DS just in case. Yeah, the the animations for sure are the standout, um, the way these characters move, the way the ghosts move and swing around and how the ghosts even emote and just those big kind of exaggerated facial expressions are, are wonderful. Um, I think much like and to this day, and, and there's somebody out there who probably will argue that Xenoblade Chronicles 3 is, is the example, but to me, it's Luigi's Mansion 3 on the Switch shows how mm. best to use the system to your advantage in the way mm -hmm. same way that luigi's mansion 2 did with with uh with the 3ds it's uh kind of amazing some some of the things they were able to pull off and it's just the small small scale but hyper detail i just, i love that i've always loved that i'd much rather look at a like a incredibly detailed single room in a game than a wide open landscape with nothing in it you know it's just kind of it, this game does that well and and just how many different things in the environment you can interact with either with your with the lighting with your flashlight with the with the vacuum and how many things react to you and how many little just like they're not even jokes but just like physical gags of like you know uh something will fall off a, a table and a, and a spider will skitter out of it in the wall or something you know there's just yeah. so much of that it's just chock yeah. full of those details and it just adds it's it's wholly additive it doesn't take anything away and everything's placed with a purpose and it's and it's all wonderful uh yeah yeah, I, I I can't really add much except to say I will never not smile and be warmed in my heart when uh, Luigi's DS goes off with a call from 
Dr. Hmm. E, uh, Professor Egad, yeah. and he does that little hop and jump to the side and looks, <laughs> you know, squats down, looks. It, it's so just adorable. It really yeah, is. Absolutely. It brings across what people love about Luigi's, that kind of hapless uh, guy, but it just puts so much character into something that is a relatively simple, obviously it's a 3DS game and I would praise it to the heavens, but it's working with such technical uh, limitations but they managed to make so much of it. And it's touches like that. Put the detail into the characters. Put the detail where it makes sense. Don't worry about blowing uh, people's minds with, with graphical grunt or anything. You can do so much by just putting those little details into the way characters move, the way environments react to you. And they do it here. Yeah, it's absolutely stunning. The music, I don't know if I have a ton to say on this one. It makes use of a lot of reused tunes and ditties from the original Luigi's Mansion, of course, it has that kind of famous musical motif that comes to mind when anyone thinks about Luigi's Mansion. You know the one. Other than that, um, I, th- I thought the music was serviceable, if uh, if maybe a little bit high in the mix for how often it would repeat. Like It kind of feels like it's an ever-present accompaniment, and um, it, it would get perhaps a little tiny bit irritating from time to time just because of uh, how kind of persistent it was, but um, for the most part, it was uh, it was pretty chill. It was pretty. I would kind of call it like late '90s, early 2000s adventure game music. I'm thinking of like Fatty Bear's Birthday Surprise or something like that, where it just kind of feels like I don't know. It's just kind of a vibe that I have a hard time kind of describing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there weren't any like major standout tracks other than the ones that were kind of pulled forward from the original Luigi's Mansion for me. Um, any notes about music or sound in particular? I um two two very brief things. One, I love a good oboe or a bass clarinet, and this mm. game has both in <laughs> just plenty with that gloomy kind of refrain. I love I just love the the hollow mellow tones of those instruments. And as far as just sound in general, I think the game has wonderful sound. But that digitizing sound where Luigi pops into voxels and gets sucked back to the bass, <laughs> that little pop, 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 oh my god! Like bottle that and just play that in my ears when I need to feel like. It's like a it's like a fidget cube for my ears. I love that sound. Absolutely love it. A big part of the tactility of this game, uh, I think it's my eyes, but it's probably also my ears. And definitely any time I was playing this uh, on the subway, I bought, you know, a $20 pair of wired earphones that I have now just made my 3DS earphones because it was important to get that full experience. And yeah, I, I, I would have liked a little more variety in the music, but I it, it set the right vibe and um, I will never, ever, ever get tired of Luigi humming along with it. Um, I, I had a thought just when you were speaking, Ryan, I wonder if it's so pre- so ever pre- like present at the fore, uh, the music, because thinking about this game without any music, if it just had like real sort of background tone setting sounds and, and the ambient sounds you get from the world, which we'll come to in a second. I wonder if that would have made it too intense and scary in a weird yeah. way. And actually whether the music is meant to be high to kind of mm-hmm. break some of the tension. I mean, it is, it is definitely spooky music, but it's spooky in that kind of almost jaunty way, you know, like it's what you yeah. expect from a spooky music rather mm-hmm. than something that's really unsettling. I wonder if no music would have made it really unsettling for, for the thing I mentioned, which is, the number of times you're in a room, and particularly I remember this from the, the first level, the Gloomy Manor, where you can hear the ghosts in the next room or upstairs, particularly thinking about the rooms off of the, the kind of fish tank uh, room mm-hmm. where you have to go and you're going upstairs and downstairs and trying to find item the cog that you need. 
and you can hear the ghosts moving around in other rooms. And it's it's really well done in terms of direction, like you were saying, Jesse. Pair of headphones in work beautifully, um, and and just goes to show you you don't need a tremendous surround sound setup. A good stereo set of not even like expensive, but just a stereo set of headphones can work wonders for positional audio. And and they use that here. I thought it was done really well. It's it's three D in every sense. It uh, one thing we didn't <laughs> mention that. Ties into the sound, but maybe more of the visuals is all of the peepholes, which is a very, you know, that they, they don't really serve a, a big mechanical purpose. But there's a lot of instances where Luigi can look through a hole in the wall and you get a little vignette. Um, oh, yeah. And those, yeah, those often, that's, for, that's funny. Those are cool. Yeah. And they give you a little foreshadowing or I don't know. I, I don't know if that is a trope that occurs in more serious survival horror games as well or anything like that. But. It seemed like, but yeah, you know, sometimes when the, um, not that the ghosts ever talk, talk, but they will have little kind of playlets, you know, or, or occasionally the, probably the scariest part of the game is occasionally one will see you and like come up to the people yeah, and yeah. go blah or whatever. But, um, but <laughs> I am absolutely, through to block up. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, now that you say it, I'm absolutely certain that the music there is, is that high and that pre- prevalent to prevent the game from being scary. And I would like to do the experiment where we all play it through it for the first time with no music, just sound effects whatsoever. <laughs> and see if we remember the game more because it was so unsettling. <laughs> Like it does. Like I'm still trying to crack this mystery of three of four people having played it without remembering it, despite thinking it's a pretty good game. And I do think there's something, yeah, about the the omnipresent soundtrack, pretty high in the mix, that is quote unquote spooky, but really jaunty. Yeah, that lets you know nothing really bad is ever going to happen. I think that there were some musicless sections of the original Luigi's Mansion that were meant to kind of increase the tension before. The ghost mm. would pop out, and then the like fun ghost catching music would kick in. But mm. uh, yeah. yeah. Anyways, um, let's get into some feedback from the community. We have uh, quite a few posts from our forum and Patreon, but I've kind of culled down to uh, to just a, a small handful. Um, Buscalili from the forum says this little three D, the little three D dioramas, the slapstick comedy, and the simple puzzle solving was a delightful romp. On top of that, the co op towers saw hours of play. With my then girlfriend, I think three surpassed it from what I've heard. Uh, the original had some unique factors, which this didn't capture. But if the only criticism of a game is that it can't quite match some real masterpieces, that's not bad going. No More Sparrows from the forum says one room in Luigi's Mansion 2 is beaten by climbing up the correct staircase several times in a row. In terms of gameplay, this is absolutely atrocious. It's mostly <laughs> luck. I don't correlate it much to Luigi's abilities. And every failure just intensifies things. But the gameplay isn't the, isn't the point here. The point is that it's meant to be funny. And ultimately, that's the biggest fault with the Luigi's Mansion 2. It wants so badly to be a comedy game first and foremost that everything else takes a step down in quality because of it. Sure, the ghosts have little skits, but I don't remember them as fondly as the portrait ghosts in the original because they lack the character, the character behind them. Joba Manobo from the forum says... It was nice to see Luigi established in his own developed character, and the graphics really pushed the next-gen vibe of the GameCube, making it the perfect launch title. Likewise, with the sequel, I did not try it at release, only playing it this year. Like the original, the graphics are really rather lovely and show off how powerful the 3DS can be in the right hands. The basic gameplay of catching ghosts, collecting loot, and solving environmental puzzles is also for the most part well executed. 
However, this also has certain issues that prevent me from loving it as much as I do many other Nintendo titles. First, the ghosts, with the exception of the Polterpup, are incredibly generic. The variety is very small and lack character of even the regular ghosts from the original, never mind the portrait ghosts. The mansion structure was a strange way to structure the game. I suppose splitting the mansion into bite-sized adventures makes some sense for handheld, but I would rather just freely explore the place at my own pace and save when needed. However, that is a really small nitpick. What actively annoyed me was the lack of checkpoints. Having to redo the same puzzles again and again because you died on a mission was beyond irritating. I had to redo the mission where you have to catch all of the ghosts before the dimension crashes in on itself countless times and just kept failing over and over. I decided my only course of action was to grind for enough money to get the final upgrade to the Poltergust in the previous missions. It massively helped, but I still failed two or three times before I eventually got it. Toon Skatoon from the forum says, The character variety is mostly non-existent, and some of the boss encounters, particularly the ice-faced creature that you fight on a sled, are cumbersome to the point of being annoying. <laughs> Yet I can easily brush aside these criticisms and say that Luigi's Mansion Dark Moon is a terrific game that expertly leverages the same kind of fun often encountered in amusement park rides or in an escape room. Uh, to briefly mention, as we said at the top of the show, there is a Luigi's Mansion arcade game developed by Capcom and published by Sega that reutilized many of the assets, animations, and uh, locations from this game, the uh, first, third, and fifth mansions in particular, uh, to create a what looks like a pretty fun light gun game. It's one of those that has kind of a sealed off booth, as it were, uh, so that the uh, light from the outside doesn't get in, kind of creates this dark atmosphere where you and a friend can um, hold these kind of giant recreations of the vacuum uh, flash ghosts with the, with the uh, flashlight and then suck them up in a first-person perspective. So a different method of playing a Luigi's Mansion game than has uh, ever been developed before, but um, I haven't had the chance to play this. I'd love to give it a go. I think it would be a lot of fun, and uh, it would be nice if this even got like a Switch port. I would, I would love to see this. Um, brought home in a way that we can experience more conveniently perhaps yeah who does those arcade ports is, is it hamster that does the arcade ports the the recent classics they did like sunset mm-hmm. riders i might be getting the company wrong i forget but i'd love to see somebody do this and like with nintendo's permission because it seems like some type of crazy thing that if i would have saw in a american arcade which are few and far between i would have absolutely <laughs> hopped mm-hmm. right in there and started sucking up some yeah. ghosts uh, this is Japan only, unfortunately, to make it a little bit more inaccessible to to us Westerners. My mind is trying to figure out a way for this to make it VR like a slime mold going through a labyrinth, but it is just hitting dead end after dead end. I got nothing. There's there's no way <laughs> Nintendo licenses this to, you know, and I wouldn't even no. want to see a game that just rips off this mechanic because so much of it is that very particular Nintendo charm and, uh, yeah. you know, their, their take on, uh, you know. You could do, I guess, a generic Ghostbusters game, but it wouldn't be wouldn't be the same. Three word reviews from our community. We tweet out from the at Canadarince Twitter handle um, every week on the day of recording. The call for reviews of the games that we cover in only three words. Let's start with Mister Ixalite, who says segmented spirit suction. Atik Beguan says it's a boo. Awesome Wells says no glasses required. Revival and Extinction says, so much mansion. Game Game Show says, Mario, Mario, Mario. <laughs> wow. 
uh, and Vex, who uh, I will mention is a great Slay the Spire mod designer uh, and will probably come up to some extent when we do that show in December. Uh, so take a look for that and look at Slay the Spire Downfall if you like that game. It's a free mod. Uh, he says, Ice Monster Trauma. So <laughs> he, he agrees about that. Although, you know, maybe maybe it was just uh, more of an uncanny reaction. Anyway. <laughs> Maybe it was the trauma that uh, Luigi visited on the poor ice monster that Vex was concerned about. That is true. Ultimately, Luigi is triumphant, and uh, we should keep that in mind. Maybe on the adventure, Luigi realizes he was the ice monster all along. (laughs) He was the ghost all along, yeah. (laughs) All right, let's uh, let's get into our final summaries on this game. Um, I will start off because I'm probably the most negative amongst our crew here. Overall, this is a, a game I'm pretty torn on. I, I really like Luigi's Mansion 1, and then 3 is, it, it really ranks highly for me. Like, I love Luigi's Mansion 3, and I can't wait to replay it. Like, what a what a great um, distillation of just the, the best of that kind of fun, spooky atmosphere, which I, I can't get enough of to begin with. But um, Luigi's Mansion 2, I think, kind of sits in a bit of a weird place for me. As of the day of recording, we're actually recording this the day after... Uh, the angry video game nerd put out his video about the uh, Earthworm Jim series, and he talks about how those are games that he fundamentally likes, but he has to weigh the overall opinion about them against like how much how much BS is in the game that ends up kind of pulling it down. And so it's this kind of scale of like the fun, good ideas of a game versus the amount of stuff that that just ends up kind of muddying the experience a little bit and for me there's there's enough in this game that i think like i just i don't want to have to do that again that it does start to kind of chip away at the atmosphere at the the beautiful graphics at the way that everything kind of the controls the just the the sense of being in the world i really like but um the ice boss those kind of final gauntlet emissions um the repetition of going through the same spaces and feeling like it isn't respecting the previous progress that I had made in those same spaces. There's there's enough to where I'm I'm really left kind of split on this one. And I think I end up coming out with a with a fairly negative opinion overall, uh, which is unfortunate because I, I really like the series. I want to like this game more than I than I do. Um, but I'm kind of having a, I'm having an interestingly similar experience going back to slide two on the uh, PS3 HD remaster these days is that, uh, I like the characters. I like the world. I like the way it controls. I like being in that world so much. Uh, but like every mission has something about it that I find really frustrating and aggressively unfun. Um, but like slide two is still like the charm of it is still kind of keeping me afloat and is still kind of against against all those frustrations is still leaving me with a pretty positive opinion of the overall experience whereas Luigi's Mansion just for some reason ended up on the wrong side of the scale just by a hair and I tend to associate more kind of negative feelings and memories looking back on it so unfortunately this one isn't for me but uh but I I am very pleased to say that the uh the victory lap on nintendo switch in just a few years time uh more than made up for the shortcomings in uh in this particular game brian how about you yeah i feel mostly like you do ryan um for, for me it's 
it's frankly how forgettable this game is to me specifically. I'm sure that there's lots of people out there who have vivid fond memories of, 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 you know, hyper specific details of Luigi's Mansion two, but I forgot that I even finished the game and then I've played through the first four fifths of it, five, six of it, whatever, over the last week or so. And during this recording, when we were talking about the clockwork, uh, clockwork factory, I like, I was struggling to remember gameplay details from those missions, like three days removed from playing them. And you could chalk that up to just me getting older and my brain failing me. But like, I I don't think that's it in this case. Um, It just, nothing sticks with me about this one. Um, It looks great and it sounds cool. and, And I love lots of little pieces of it, but as a whole experience, I just find it, uh, from the mission-based structure to just kind of the overall narrative, like I can, I could recreate. I've only played Luigi's Mansion three once. I played it at launch, but I could, I could retell you moments from that game, you know, from memory right now. Like there was nothing like, oh, this thing happened, and I can't believe how big this one, or you know, all these different details about that game. I, and this game, which I've been playing this week, I'm, I'm still struggling to just recall some of the most basic details from. And I. I don't know what to attribute that to. Like, um, I, I've tried to explain it over the course of this recording, and I still can't really wrap my head around it. It just, it just doesn't stick with me for whatever reason. And if I were to go back to play Luigi's Mansion game on the 3DS, I'm going to play the 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 re-release of the original Luigi's Mansion, and I'll go back to that, and I can remember that. And and if I were going to play another Luigi's Mansion game after that, I'd probably skip right to three. And I think it's probably just because fundamentally those two games are structured in a way that lends itself more to my personal preference. So. Because as you said, Ryan, there's nothing about playing this game. There's nothing necessarily glaring about it that I dislike. It's a very likable game. I just, I find it very forgettable. So honestly, as far as recommendations, I I can't really recommend it or not recommend it because frankly, after this podcast, I'm not sure if I'll be able to remember a single solitary thing about it. So, all right, James, how about you? Uh, I definitely will remember a couple of things about this game. uh, And I can say that from experience. Having played it in 2014, I knew I had played the Gloomy Manor, the first level, and I think I will probably remember that level going forward. But yeah, I can't deny that the rest of the game's going to be patchy at best, and and having already forgotten that I had beaten this game, I can quite see myself doing that again. Which is definitely a shame, because I think there are things to love here. We talked about the animation, and the presentation's done very well. I wish I'd been able to play it in 3D, because I think the 3D does, you know, when I turned it on and got it just right, it does work really well. But yeah, it it does lack some stuff in terms of the, the level design, the game design for me, particularly in that middle section of the game, which is, which is really uh, a shame. I did play Luigi's Mansion 3, and... I, I I don't quite, I can't quite put my finger on why I fell off it halfway through. And like Brian just said, if I was going to play a Luigi's Mansion again, game again, I would probably want to pick up the original on 3DS or go back to and have another pop at Luigi's Mansion 3. But that that all said, all of my, my complaints, you know, having said that, I would probably rather pick up a Lego game than, than this if I just wanted something to play. This is still probably the closest thing I've had to a fun Ghostbusters game which is damning of the the game attempts at, at that related to that franchise but that that's quite an achievement for Nintendo to take Luigi a character you know up until this point as one of our correspondents said didn't really have a great deal of character i mean we that's not not necessarily strictly true and i'm sure other people could debate that but gave him an identity and gave him something to wrap around that was strong enough that it ended up bleeding into luigi's role in 
going forward from 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 these games uh, going forward uh and and that's that's a, an achievement and i think that aspect of this game is strong I, I think that's kind of where i come out and it is suck it ghostbusters luigi's adorable <laughs> great and jesse i think you're the most positive of us so why don't you take us out yeah i had a good time and again i i the action of it is quite enjoyable to me and i think it is partly because I always have the 3D cranked up. And Monster Hunter 4 and Rusty's Real Deal Baseball are other games that I, you know, go back to consistently because um, they they kind of require the 3D for me to function mechanically. And that's a unique experience I'm not going to get on any other console. Uh, and as I said, now that I kind of get the scare scraper and feel like I've uh, nailed the combat down a reasonable amount, and I know there's new and weirder maybe ghosts in the scare scraper. I haven't gotten far enough, but I know that, yeah, you know the the ghosts in the main game. There's some variety, but there could be there could be more interesting things going on, and I'm I am looking forward to seeing uh, if if there is that and. Um, yeah, I'm also looking forward to playing the, you know, one in especially three now, uh, because uh, I like this one so much. And what everyone says, you know, I, I will like three better in probably every way, except I wonder if the lack of, you know, an actual 3D feature is gonna make it less, uh, you know, I don't want to say immersive, but also, you know, just in terms of the actual spacing of the combat, dealing with the controls and dealing with trying to nail, you know, multiple enemies at once, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, is that going to hamper my enjoyment? But I, yeah, this game is, it goes down smooth. And really the biggest complaint is it will go down smoothly enough that, yeah, worlds three and four, especially probably most of two, I'm not going to retain too much of. Uh, but I think I will retain my skills at the sort of arcadey action. Like if I come back to this game in two or three years and uh, pick the scare scraper or whatever up again, I think it'll be like, you know, getting on a bicycle in terms of being able to to do the the, the tactics intuitively. And um, yeah, no, I as I said, I think. It's certainly worth playing the first world if you have access to this game, which at this point, it's not like you can buy it on the eShop or anything. So if you you know have a friend with a cartridge or something, I think anyone would find it worth playing through that first world, beating it. And then from there on, you can decide, do you want to do this whole thing or did you just kind of get the gist? Great. Thank you very much. And uh, that just leaves me, Ryan, to think. Brian, James, and Jesse, as well as our correspondents, plus, of course, you for listening, for joining us in this rundown of luigi's mansion 2 i'm sure that we'll circle back to the series for the third game someday um but until then next time in issue 568 a planet hopping adventure of one man trying to retrieve a ledger of names and locations of the galaxy's children compiled by an old eccentric recluse and oddly enough not the first time that the series has used that exact strange storyline uh leon guides us through star wars jedi fallen order (laughs) 